As we get to the business end of the Miami Open, all of the big seeds remain. Daniel Medvedev, Stefano Tsitsipas, Naomi Osaka and Ash Barty all still in the hunt for the second Miami Open title at Hard Rock Stadium. It's not actually being played inside the stadium this time because of COVID and building and all those sorts of things in the bubble, but it's been a great tournament nonetheless. This is Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Ferber. It's got We've got a big show lined up for you today. Nerily Meadows, Australian journalist and broadcaster and host of Ordinarily Speaking, is going to join us to chat about her podcast and the tennis guests that she's had on there this season, including Thanasi Kokonakis and Samantha Stoza. But before we do any of that and chat about any of the tennis, we I must introduce the best impersonation of Daniel Medvedev that there is, Joel Frucci. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, Joel. How are That's you? the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've gone Daniel Medvedev, and he just goes Andre Rublev. Russian, Russian, same thing. Uh, we should start the show with that uh, very, very soon again. I, I quite enjoyed it's that. pretty much just becoming the Rublev and Medvedev fan club. Pretty much, pretty much. And throw Aslan Karatsev in there as well. Um, but how are you? How are you? We haven't we haven't gotten to that yet. Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. It's uh, It's been a busy sort of week or so, but of course we're, we're coming up to Easter. So we're looking forward to a bit of R&R, I think. A bit of chocolate. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll catch the end of Miami, I think. Might try and... See if I can uh, potentially uh, catch those matches, and if I need to make up some sleep, at least now we've got some time to do it. Exactly right. We have uh, Good Friday, Easter Saturday, Easter Sunday, and Easter Monday all off. So that is going to be a very, very nice weekend. But Joel, um, it, it has been a really good tournament in Miami, and um, the big seeds or the top two seeds on both in both events, the men's and the women's, are both through. But what's been happening in between those two? in both draws, has been staggering. And look, looking at the men's draw, um, Roberto Bautista Ogu, the seven seed, is still in. But Alexander Zverev, uh, falling to Emil Rusevori of Finland, he was awesome, the young Finn. A little bit more personality than what you'd see from the Finnish F1 drivers, like Kimi Raikkonen and uh, Valtteri <laughs> Bottas. But um, he's, he's been fantastic. Yannick Sinner into his first uh, Masters 1000 quarterfinal. And likewise, Alexander Bublik, who um, who knocked off Australian and one of our guests on this show, James Duckworth, who absolutely demolished David Goffin, the eighth seed. Um, Sebastian Corder, this kid is going to be a superstar. He is uh, He's won his first top 10 match against Diego Schwartzman. Uh, he'll take on Andre Rublev, who took down Marin Cilic today. Rublev still in really scintillating form. And Hubert Hercash, after a big win over Denis Shapovalov, backed that up with another big one over Milos Raonic. So a lot of players in their first Masters 1000 quarterfinal. I think that's one, two, uh, three, four, four, four of the eight left uh, in their first Masters quarter. So it's been an amazing tournament. And... Even Daniel Medvedev was very close to being eliminated. Did you see how he was walking against Alexi Poprin? That was a duck waddle, if ever I'd seen one. What would have made it more ironic would have been if he had been playing against James Duckworth. (laughs) Yeah, so true, so true. No, look, um, yeah, I guess we can start there. Yeah, good to see... uh... Good to see some young young blood coming through. We spoke a bit with BP last week. Brett Phillips, of course, the host of, of the first serve that um, obviously a lot of the bigger name on the men's side of things had had pulled the pin. So it kind of leaves things open for a guy like Daniel Medvedev to storm through here. But yeah, it was good to see 
Alexi Popperin really challenged him. Um, Francis Tiafo got uh, got far. Yannick Sinner still in the draw. Um, you see the ever unpredictable Alexander Bublik still in the draw. Sebastian Corda, brilliant win against Diego Schwartzman. Absolutely fantastic. He's he's looking really good. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Val uh, Emil Rusevori. You could say he's uh, he's looking. Wait for it. A million bucks. Oh no! Um, but. <laughs> But um, yeah, and then of course guys like uh, Hubert Hercash as well, and a really good opportunity for um for Stefanos Tsitsipas. So look, it's uh it's a really uh really exciting field that's uh that's left over. So look, where where there's omissions from from the top, I mean you never really want to see that for a, for a Masters one thousand, but there's uh, certainly been a lot of uh, a lot of opportunity in uh, in Miami this year on the men's half. Yeah, there sure has been, and um, I, I think looking at some of the players that, that are still left, and I think Sebastian Quarter and Diego Schwartzman, who Sebastian Quarter has beaten, I think summed it up very nicely and said he plays a lot like Tomas Burdich in the way that he strikes the ball and even his action, and the ATP showed um, a snippet of both of them together with Quarter on top and Burdich on the bottom, and they hit their forehands almost identically. It, it, it's uncanny how similar mm. the the styles are, and well, saw, hopefully Quarter can win a slam. Well, you'd hope so, and it looks as though the way <laughs> that he's going, things might open up for him really well. But I, I think the most impressive thing, and Bastian Fashan put this up uh, on Twitter, the depth in which Quarter hits his shots with, and it will too. It does, it's not like he's not. It's not like he's, you know, mixing things up. He's hitting the ball hard. But just as deep as some of the big guns like what Novak Djokovic will hit or like what Rafael Nadal will hit on clay and just get that depth and push his opponent back and his feel close in is just as good. And this guy's already got a fourth round at a Grand Slam at the French Open. He didn't come to the Australian Open and he's just kicked off beautifully in 2021 and he really looks the goods, doesn't he? Yeah, he does look uh, look the goods, uh, like father, like son, you could say. Um, I'll tell you what, though. I mean, if there was ever if there was ever a piece of vision, Val, that sort of summed up just how talented this guy is. Did you see the the uh, the footage of him juggling uh, his uh, his racket and the balls between points? It's just it's that was incredible. <laughs> it's not fair. It's not fair <laughs> yeah. because I would love to just be able to hit a tennis ball properly, and this guy's just walking around the back of a baseline, Masters one thousand, doing that, like. Just, I'm not happy, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, look, me either, Val. Yeah. Certainly beats me on a Tuesday night. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I think so. I think so. And then if I play those Tuesday nights, it'll get a lot worse. But looking at um, looking at the rest of the tournament, or sort, sort of the tournament as a whole, and look, I know I probably shouldn't be admitting this, but it, it's been a Miami Open that I haven't, I wouldn't say haven't followed, but I haven't been paying as close attention to it as I normally would. And March is always such a prosperous month for tennis because you've got the Sunshine Double, Indian Wells, and then Miami. Indian Wells hasn't gone ahead, and then Miami, we're missing Djokovic, we're missing Nadal, we're missing Federer, we're missing Team, we're missing Berrettini, um, who is there but just supporting Isla Tomjanovic, and then we've got other players that are complaining about the bubble, other players like Vashek Pospisil complaining about the ATP. Um, yeah. So it's there's been a real dampener on this men's event as opposed to the women's where there's actually been a lot of big-name players come and play, including 
Ash Barty, who is Australian and didn't travel at all last year after after the Australian Open. So, um, have you felt the same way? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I think. Look, and we'll we'll talk about the women's half in in just a moment because I think certainly. I think the difference is probably just, I don't know, there's kind of that lingering shadow a little bit of what happened with, with Vasek Pospisil because it really just does feel like the ATP is just not united at the moment. And, I mean, it hasn't felt that way for a little while, admittedly. Um, and certainly on, on both sides of things, the ATP and the WTA, I guess. Um, I think the just the, the lack of normality, I think, um, is, is still kind of there. Um, and in a kind of roundabout way, it's it just doesn't quite, I don't think, have the, the that same sex appeal of, um, you know, like a normal season, so mm. to speak. Um, I think that's that's pretty much what it is. But I think certainly on the men's side of things, um, yeah, there is that, that little bit of, of disunity that you that you kind of feel. But, yeah, when you when you flip over to the women's side and, and you look at the, the draw and, um, and, and sort of who remains in it, and you look at um, Ash Barty, Spitalina, Naomi Osaka, uh, Maria Sakari, it's um, it's still like a really, really exciting draw. Um, Bianca Andrescu as well, who I'm, I'm really keen to see. Um, and hopefully she can put together some, some continuity in, in her game because obviously we know what she's been through injury-wise. But, um, yeah, there's uh, yeah, I, I think that's probably the main thing for me. I think it's just, just that sense of harmony. Um, I think on on the tours and and knowing that certainly on the women's side clearly it's more about at the moment uh, the actual tennis whereas there's some politics on the men's side. Well, some is a bit of an understatement because it seems as though there's a massive disunity <laughs> in the ATP still not. And look, we 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 harped on this issue a lot last year and we harped on it last week as well that the ATP just hasn't been as transparent as we would have liked. Um, yeah. And the WTA, with their players, we had so many players come out and say how good the WTA had been, um, meeting with them every week, giving them updates, and, and doing all these sorts of things. Um, but the ATP has just been so stagnant, and th- there seems to be this real divide between the organisation and the players. And the way that the organisation's handling it doesn't seem to have been a great from the outside looking in. And the way the players are handling it, instead of in terms of the PTPA and so on, isn't great at all. So I think moving to the women's side, you've got these big guns playing this tournament. Um, you know, obviously no Serena due to an injury, but you've got eight of the top nine players um, and nine of the top ten, Serena being the only omission from there, uh, that are playing this tournament. And it's been phenomenal to watch because we've got Ash Barty coming back. She's won two epic three centers against the Belarusian Bulls in Victoria Azarenka and Arena Sabalenka. And she'll play Alina Svitolina, who's come through. Um, she's been under a lot of pressure as well. She's in the semi-final. What a narrative that is. One of those two will be in the WTA 1000 final at the end of this. Um, then you've got, as you said, Andrescu, who's not going to be playing much tennis after this because of the fact that she is coming back to tennis and that she hasn't been playing too much and she wants to ease herself back into the sport and coming back after um, after winning that Grand Slam at the end of 2019. Then you've got Sara Soribes Tormo, who's playing some amazing tennis as well, getting herself through to a quarterfinal. And then Maria Sakari against Naomi Osaka uh, as well. Sakari saved six match points against Jessica Pagula in the fourth round and didn't just save them. 
save them with gusto. So we have a really exciting tournament here on the women's side, but it, it just seems to continuously get overshadowed by what's going on behind the scenes of the ATP because at the moment it's still, even with all the controversy, creating all the headlines. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really unfortunate because, um, as as we've said, Bell, the field is really, really, really exciting. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, like you look at a couple of the matchups, like um, you know, Barty against Vitalino. I guess you would expect Ash to probably win that, but you never quite know what you're gonna what you're gonna get from from Elena. Sometimes she could either be really, really good or or sort of you know, at the other end of the spectrum, not so good at all. Um, but yeah, and then um, Sakari and, and Osaka. Um, Sakari is a bit the same. Um, she's quite quite temperamental, I guess. But on her day, I think she's easily capable of, of uh, causing an upset and and knocking Naomi off. But you know, I guess the way things are at the moment, you'd, you'd probably be be pretty silly to lean against uh, Naomi based on the on the twelve months that uh, that she's had. But um, yeah, I think the main thing for me is uh, with the women's side is I just look at. Um, at Bianca and Andrescu and, uh, you know, just really eager to see her just continuing to, to win tennis matches and, and really build up to, uh, to what we know that she can deliver. If you had to rank the top five women at the moment, disregard the rankings, if you had to rank them, who would you have at, to- at the, in, those, in those top five? The top five women at the moment. I've just Gee, thrown this out at you. Question. I just, I literally thought of it as you finish your answer. I'll give you mine good after. I, I haven't even thought okay. of this yet, so I'm going to throw you under the bus first. Okay. Good question. All right. So, okay. So, I think number one would have to be Naomi Osaka. Mm-hmm. Um, this really is a tough one. Uh, number two, on, on pure ability and the fact that she has been able to come back fairly well. I'm going to go Ash, number two. Yep. Three, I'm going to throw in Garbina Muguruza. Mm-hmm. Uh, four, I think I'm going to go with... Um, oh, it's a really tough one. Jesus. Really, really tough one. I think I'm going to go with... Um, Uh, <laughs> who am I going with? I've got, I've got three players in mind right now. I'm trying to fit them. I'm trying to fit a square peg into a round hole here. Um, I think I'm going to go with uh, Elise Mertens actually. Oh, okay. At uh, number then, at number three. Uh, no, four. Four. And then five. I'm going to run with Igor Fiontek. I reckon. Okay. Just so reiterate your five, Joel. Okay, so. So, Asaka, Barty, Muguruza, uh, Mertens, Shiontek. Okay. I'm going to agree with you with the world number one, Naomi Osaka. I think she's the best at the moment. Number two, I think, I think I'm going to have to go Barty as well. Number three, I reckon, remains the same in Simona Halep. Number four, I would have Garbinia Muguruza. And number five, I would have Iga Fiontek as well. I think Azarenka, Sabalenka, and uh, Kvitova, all very, very tough to miss out. And same with Jennifer Brady. But I think those five yeah. are the ones. And same with Elise Mertens. I think the way that she's played this year has been uh, has been scintillating. But yeah, I, I think... And, and that's the beauty. And look, why not... Screw it. Let's do the men's as well, Joel. And I'll give you some more time... <laughs> 
I'll give you some more time on this one. Um, I'll I'll go I'll go first with these. But just on current form, I would have Novak at one clearly. Medvedev at two. I'm going to put Andre Rublev at number three. Yep. I'm going to put... Oh, number four is quite difficult. I might... I think I know who I'm putting at number four. Uh, Do you want to compare notes or... No, no, no. Let me... Let me let, I'll go through mine. I've just got... I'm going to be like you and just really right. stumble and stumble right. through this. Um... I've got one, but I want him to go at number five. So I've just got to think of number four here, which is quite difficult at the moment. I think, I think just because of pure consistency this year, I think I'm going to have to go with um, Stefano Tsitsipas. And then at number five, I'm going to go Aslan Karatsev. Cause, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, and one who's very stiff to miss out, because he keeps running into Andre Rublev, and it's happened again for the fourth time this year, Martin. is Martin Fuchovic. <laughs> so I think he's just dreaming about Bwee. <laughs> Bwee. Um So, yeah, uh, who, who, who's your top five? Well, funnily enough, mine was almost identical. So I think number one is obviously Novak Djokovic, goes without saying. Number two is Daniel Medvedev for sure, so pretty much as is. Um, yeah, three I had Rublev as well. Um, I actually, I'm going to slot Carrots at number four. I mm-hmm. think. Number four? He, he's just been that good, I think. And then, uh, yeah, I think, to be honest, number five, there's, so there's really no one that kind of stands out other than Sitsipas to, to fill that last spot. Um, you know, I guess you could, I don't know, you could maybe make a case for... Um, you know, we've both forgotten know, about Rafa. <laughs> Pretty much no one else. I don't know. Maybe, maybe if you wanted to throw a bit of a curveball, maybe you could say um, uh, Musetti, but that's that's really stretching it. We've uh, both so forgotten we, about yeah, Rafa. Uh, yeah, we did. But uh, <laughs> no, I think I think overall, I think that's a fair five. Yeah, I think so. Because at the slams, you probably back Rafa in a bit more and on the clay. But I think in these tournaments, I reckon he'd be there for the taking, especially with his back injury at the moment. Roger would be there for the taking, just coming back from his injuries. Um, Dominic team just hasn't been himself. Um, and yeah, Mozetti's playing well, but you can't really argue a spot for him to go in. Zverev, um, like Forrest Gump's box of chocolates, you're just not sure what you're going to find. Um, so I, th- I think there's a case you can make for a lot of people to be in that current top five. But uh, the oh, reason... I- yeah, oh, well, exactly. He almost beat Daniel Medvedev, the world number two, and had his chances to do it. Saved... I think there was uh, forced the match to go on an extra hour between match points. So phenomenal effort from Alexi. But um, yeah, I thought that was a little bit of fun. Just a little bit of ad lib predicting or or not foreshadowing. But yeah, just talking about what, what we think or who we think are the form players in the ATP and the WTA at the moment. But Joel, I think it's time to get to our first guest. Now, Joel, ordinarily speaking, this would be the first time or in the show where we'd have a guest. And that's exactly what we have now. And if you'll pardon the pun, this guest is one of the world's best broadcasters. And we don't say that lightly. She can do tennis. She can do AFL. She can do cricket. She can do American football. Absolutely anything. And she has a great podcast out at the moment, which we can't wait to talk about, called Ordinarily Speaking. Her name is Nerily Meadows. Nerily, thank you so much for joining us on the show. How are you? 
Well, with an intro like that, I mean, I'll stick around for as long as you guys want to talk to me. <laughs> Brilliant. We'll um, we'll take the payment under the table, so that'll um, <laughs> that'll help with time. Um, uh, but you're in uh, hotel quarantine at the moment in Mumbai, heading into the um, Indian Premier League. So, quickly talk us through how you're going at the moment, and um, how long have you got to go, and what's the feeling like? It's not your first time doing it, so you'd be kind of used to it by now. Yeah, this is Hotel Quarantine Edition 3 for me, day two. Um, I've gotten really lucky that the hotels that I've been staying in are quite spacious and high roofs and big ceilings and things like that. Not fresh air, but, you know, a lot of ability to actually see, um, you know, fresh air, which I think helps with the mental space. But I've gotten quite good at Hotel Quarantine. I think, is it weird to say I actually kind of like it? Um, maybe it's just because I've gotten such nice hotels, so I've gotten really lucky, but it's kind of an excuse to, like, I, I try and get stuff done. So when I did it twice last year, I had a uni, um, course that I was also doing because of COVID. So I had assignments to do, um, this time around, I've got podcasts to edit and prep to do for the IPL as well. So I'm actually kind of busy in that regard and I get um, the AFLW Fremantle footy captain, Cara Antonio, she always gives me like little um, challenges, daily challenges <laughs> to do. So she gives me some exercise. I get teased a lot because I do a lot of walking in my hotel room. So yesterday I did 10K, um, but usually the aim is just to get to that 10,000 steps every day. But yeah, yesterday was, was 10 kilometres instead. Basically the moment that somebody starts talking to me, I start walking. So you guys are lucky right now that I'm not walking while we're recording the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think the reason why I kind of enjoy it is because especially when you do get busy, um, it's such a nice, like, I physically can't do anything. Mm. So it takes almost the pressure off of feeling the pressure to be productive. Um, you can't. So you just, you know, chill out. And I don't know, it's something like a little bit enjoyable maybe. Is that bad to say? I don't know. Well, not really with just how idiotic people are getting at the moment. I think shying away from them would be quite nice. But um, talking about... um. <laughs> Uh, talking about um, about tennis, Nerali, you hosted the World Feed coverage at the Australian Open this year, and you've done things sporadically throughout your career as well. And throughout your most recent season of Ordinarily Speaking, you can go follow the podcast, Ordinarily underscore speaking on Instagram and subscribe on all the different avenues that you get your podcast. You've had Thanasi Kokonakis talking about his um, overcoming of mental difficulties and physical difficulties. And today, just released an interview and a very rare interview with Samantha Stoza. So I'll start with that one and talk us through your feelings of interviewing her and just and some of the questions you asked her about her sexuality and about how she's sort of overcome the pressure of playing in Australia. How was her demeanour throughout the interview? Because she seemed really relaxed while listening to it. She was super relaxed. And I think the thing with Ordinarily Speaking and every interview that I've done like that in, in different formats, mostly for television over the years, is that I always make my intent very clear with the guests straight up. I'm not after got your moments. Um, I am very clear with the fact that I will ask personal questions. You know, often if the person feels better, I'll chat about specific 
um, stuff that we're going to go into. And I basically approach them with, this is the podcast. It's about vulnerability. It's about celebrating resilience in sport. Um, it's about hopefully humanizing athletes and in turn making them more relatable so that people listening can find some um, some help in their own life. I'm sorry, I'm not sure if you can hear the praying right now because as you mentioned earlier, I'm in Mumbai and they do various prayers throughout the day, which I actually kind of like. They're kind of beautiful and, um, yeah, but you might be able to pick it up. So if anyone's wondering what that audio is, that's what it is. Um, but, yeah, I'm really honest with people um, because I don't – it's not the kind of podcast that you go, hey, here's a podcast, will you be willing to be a guest? It's so much more personal than that. So I don't see the point of getting someone to agree with something and then um you know just smashing them with with questions that they're like hang on I didn't sign up for this so Sam I got in touch with and, and told her what it you know what it was and I don't know Sam either um you know a couple of press conferences or whatever across the years but a lot of the guests I've had I've got personal relationships and built friendships with them over the years but Sam I didn't so I never thought she'd say yes um her former manager helped help get her across the line as well. And she was just really open to it. And I think she's gotten to a point in her life, she turned 37 yesterday, and she's gotten to a point in her life where she's genuinely comfortable with who she is and is more willing to share some of that. And when somebody gets to that point, it's such a beautiful um, moment. And I always say to people before I start the interviews, if there is anything I ask you that you don't want to answer, just tell me. I edit it. No one else touches it until it's released publicly. So no one knows what is and isn't in there. Um, Still to this day, I've never had somebody say, I don't want to answer that or, you know, take that out or whatever. But I think it's just really important to just give them that security of, I I told you that this is not a gotcha thing and it's never going to be that. So if you turn around and go, I don't want to answer that, I'm not going to take it personally. And still to this day, I've never had anyone say that they don't want to talk about it um but I just think if you give them a safe space to be able to have that opt out um yeah it just makes people feel more comfortable that they know that your intentions are pure and like I say I just lay it all out on the table this is what I want to talk about this is what really interests me these are the reasons why I think it will help a lot of people because let's take Sam Stoza for example how many young people or indeed older people who are grappling with their sexuality, who, um, you know, may have families or friends or otherwise who don't necessarily agree with it, um, to have somebody of Sam Stoza's standing open up herself and say, I've grappled with the same thing and I'm here to tell you it's okay to be you and the most important thing is to feel comfortable within yourself. To me, like... That, that I just feel like that would be such a huge thing to hear. So, And that was always the main motivation for the podcast in the first place. And I think people like Sam can see that I'm being authentic and therefore she goes, yeah, I'm happy to follow suit and, and be authentic as a guest. This one's not so much of a question, Aralee. It's more of like kind of just me, I guess, spitballing a little bit, but I kind of just wanted to commend you for that uh, safe space that you've really created for these people because – um, obviously, as we know, and you would have seen it firsthand um, in your time with Fox Sports and and beyond as well, just the, the, the real dog-eat-dog nature of, of the sporting world, particularly in Australia. So I think it's a real sort of testament to yourself that um, all these people, athletes, um, coaches, whoever it is in sport, really sort of, uh, I guess, trust you to open up like that. Um, and it's great because as a consumer, it really does give you that 
that insight that I think a lot of people um, really, really miss in sport. I think it's really fascinating to find out, um, you know, about the stories uh, behind these people, really, like what they are away from the field. Thank you. I really appreciate that. It was funny, like Glenn Maxwell and I were talking in the airport. We were um, caught up in transit because we we're on the same flight to India for the IPL, and we were sort of joking about, you know, the friendships that you forge because we kind of both know what it's like to be sacked or both know what it's like to be delisted or, um, or in, you know, the public eye or all those sorts of things. So there is that genuine level of relatability. And what I'm trying to do is use that platform to convey that relatability to just um, everyone in Australia so that they all know that sports people um, have their issues too. And that, that, that can be a source for anyone um, you know, to find some comfort, some advice, because that was that's the other thing about this podcast that's really important to me is it's not just about tell me all the tough times. It's about these are the things that you've been through. How did you get through it? And where are you now? And I think that's really important because it's the podcast gives you time to do that. Whereas I think a lot of news services and shorter formats, it's just like you hear all the gory details, but none of the actual, yeah, but how did you get through it? And how are you feeling now? Um, and I think that that's really what turns it into almost a tool for people to go, this is how I'm feeling or, um, yeah, that's what makes it relatable. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially with the year that we've just had, it can really kind of inspire the, the average person, um, you know, to kind of pick themselves up, I suppose. Obviously, it's been a pretty tough year for, for a lot of people. So I think certainly, you know, hearing from those people that they probably look up to can can really sort of get them through. And I'm interested to know, like, obviously, you would have seen quite a lot um, in your time as as a journalist, like, was there any kind of moment in particular or anything that, that you saw that kind of prompted you to, to kind of, uh, you know, sort of develop this, this uh, concept that you've got now? Yeah, so my mum's a, um, a psychologist, so I was always brought up in um, a very mental health heavy kind of environment of, you know, self-analyzing and all those sort of things from a young age and always knew the, um, the power of reframing um, and things like that. So I've always had a, a really big interest in mental health in general. Um, and I think always throughout my career, even early days at Channel 7, I was really interested in those sort of human interest stories of athletes and really peeling back and finding out, you know, what makes them tick, what motivates them, um, what inspires them as opposed to, you know, how their hammy's going and when will they be back. And as I forged more relationships, built more trust because just being able to do it time and time again. And when I was at Fox, um, we had the ability to um, do a show called On The Mark and that sort of paved the way for very much those really in-depth human stories. And it was amazing to me that how many people wanted to share those things, whether it's because they wanted to honour a parent or, um, you know, sell a cause and raise money for a cause or just be vulnerable themselves in the hope that they can help other people. And players were so open to doing it. It was just that there'd never been a real platform before, which gives the time and space in order to do it on a regular basis. And so I did it a lot in AFL there. Um, but then, yeah, leaving Fox, um, I decided, you know what, like, 
now is the time to, to sort of do a podcast and, and do it on my own. Cause I've, I've got the relationships. I can do that. Um, and there's something really, even though television is still my first love, I love the audio visual nature of it. There's something really beautiful and vulnerable in itself about just audio. And I think because people listen to it in really intimate spaces, mm. they'll listen to it whilst walking or sitting in their car by themselves or, you know, sitting on a plane or sitting in a hotel quarantine. Um, it's those moments where it's, you know, you with your thoughts and you feel like you're part of a conversation. And there's something I feel like really special about that. Um, so you don't necessarily need to see the person's face to understand what they're feeling. So I felt like it was just, a, you know, a good platform to be able to, um, to, to change the narrative and start a conversation. And that was always, as I say, my number one motivation. And the feedback that I've received from people is very much, you know, aligned with that. People are saying, um, you know, that it has helped them with their own situation or that um, they're, uh, you know, I had one guy, for example, um, message me on Instagram basically saying that the Peter Siddle one, which was about him, basically admitting he's an alcoholic and why he quit drinking and, and how he made those changes. And I had one guy message me on, on, um, on Instagram that I often refer back to because he essentially said, my family didn't support me and they didn't understand. And we're a drinking family. So they wanted me to keep drinking and I was trying to explain to them why I wanted to stop, but they just didn't hear it. And he says, now I can use this podcast and send it to them so that they understand. And he said, this was the podcast I needed to hear right now. And I still get goosebumps when I tell that, because for me, that feedback is, is just, you know, it's so huge. And I feel like if that's an impact, even just on a few people, what an impact that these sports people are having. Yeah, you actually get quite emotional hearing that from someone because that's exactly what the podcast does. And I remember listening to that Peter Siddle one in the car and you did feel that you were right with you guys in the conversation because it was it was so raw, it was so honest, it was so emotional and it was so well done. So, yeah, again, another another commendation for you, Nerily. But um, talking about the... Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, talking about the um, Tanasi Kokonakis interview, that's one that um, I, I was really fascinated by because he's been through uh, the, an umpteenth amount of injuries. Like it is, it is ridiculous what he's had to go through, including glandular fever um, at the same time. So talking to him, what what did you get from him about how he's come out of the other side of it? What was, for, for people that haven't heard it, what was the catalyst for him that sort of made him go, okay, you know what, I'm I'm good enough to come back. I'm going to do this. I'm going to focus. When did that sort of start? Yeah. So Thanasi, um, once again, I didn't know Thanasi and his manager helped me with that one. And he gave me the contact details for his dad and his brother um, and his coach. And his dad told me very specifically now it is Thanasi, not mm -hmm. Tanasi. So call him Thanasi, please. Thanasi. So I was like, yes, Mr. Kokonakis, got it. No worries. <laughs> Um, absolutely. And as somebody who's got a, you know, a different name myself, I obviously am aware of how many times people mispronounce names. Um, but basically I, I called them to get an insight and 
that really helps me. And I did the same thing with Sam Stoza. That really helps me, particularly when it's somebody that I don't know, because you also want to get the feel for a person. And depending on the different person, you ask different questions and particularly the starts of podcasts, you want to get them comfortable. So it's really helpful for me to get an insight, not just on stories, but also the feel of the person. And, um, that was really helpful, particularly in, in Thanasi's case. And he's just such a, you know, a confident, um, comfortable guy within his own skin, yet he still had all these um, mental health issues to deal with due to, you know, a lot of it with all the injuries, as you say, he's overcome. And But his resilience in, in having all of those but still loving the game and wanting to succeed and being driven to do so is is really cool. Um, and I loved the Nasi because he's, he's one of the younger guests I've had on the podcast. A lot of the podcasts is those sort of people at that phase where they're, you know, know who they are a little bit older. Um, so it was it was great having somebody of his age be so open and vulnerable, and especially because he is, you know, that cool guy kind of thing. I just think the more you talk to people like that, the more it targets people who aren't necessarily willing to be as vulnerable and maybe encourages them to do the same. So that was really special with Thanasi, I think. Yeah, he was great, and he was really jovial in the chat as well and sort of very yeah. personable as well. So that, that made it really intriguing listening but uh we must ask you just one or two tennis questions before we go because we have asked a lot about the podcast as well but who are the players that you uh, when covering the sport who are the players that you've loved watching over the years since you've started okay so people because most of what i do is is footy and cricket right so i think a lot of people don't understand how much i loved tennis growing up so just to give you an idea i just I always wanted to go to the Hotman Cup, for example. I would have, like, I got my mum to make me a Southern Cross top um, for one of the Hotman Cups. Nice. I would take my camera and I'd take photos, and then the next year I would get that printed photo and try and get Leighton Hewitt to sign it. Um, he didn't, unfortunately. I was the biggest Leighton Hewitt fan you will come across. Yeah, me too. Um, I was a little bit obsessed with him and still to this day he's the only person I've ever interviewed that I get a bit like girly and nervous around which is crazy because I've interviewed so many like amazing you know athletes and people from around the world but Leighton I just go back and I go oh it's Lele um (laughs) Pat Rafter as well loved him and so I think I was right at that right age when those couple of guys and obviously the Woodies as well and you know Todd Woodridge is lovely and it's lovely working with him now but when I was a kid, I would watch so much tennis and one particular story, which kind of goes to show how dedicated I was to the cause was, um, my parents took me and my friend to Bali at the end of year 11. And it was when Australia was in the Davis cup final against France and it coincided with that tie and or the final. And I was like, and this is going to reveal how like old I am, but I was like, I can't miss this. Like this is, I've, I've, you know, I'm, I'm obsessed. Like this is, this is not okay. So I got a friend to record all five matches on VC uh, VHS because that was what was around at the time, and. He recorded all five matches for me, all matches for me. And I was in um, Bali for the first time and I completely, because obviously there was no social media, but I completely avoided all um, 
news. Like if there was TVs on in the airports, I didn't look at them because I didn't want to know who won. And I got home and I got the tapes. It was like I think it was three three tapes that it took um, to record the whole final. And unfortunately, I made the rookie error that you know you youngins won't understand. But I press play <laughs> before pressing rewind. Oh no! Rookie, rookie oh, no. error. <laughs> See. This younger generation don't understand the adversity that no. we went through as kids. <laughs> no, they really don't. Like, I remember those VHS tapes. They were especially, like, if you press play right at the end, it's like, oh, my God, now I've got to get up and I've got to rewind it. But it's it's worse than that because if you press play at the end of a movie or whatever, you're like, oh, so they'll end up getting yeah. married. In this particular occasion, I <laughs> pressed play and all I saw was Frenchmen jumping on each other. And I went, oh. But such was my dedication. I still went back and watched it all because I thought maybe, just maybe, they were jumping on each other because they won an important match to keep the tie alive and not that they'd won the whole thing. So I still sat down and I watched it all. Unfortunately, we didn't win. Um, but that's how much I love tennis. <laughs> that sounds... I don't even know if that answered your question, but that's how much I love <laughs> That's that sounds so much like me except I'm the other way I get such anxiety if I'm missing a live sporting event like if Richmond is playing in the AFL or Roger Federer is playing I have to know what's going on at that exact time and I'm the psycho at the dinner table that's just refreshing the scores if I can't be at the game or in front of a TV so no I am I'm right with you you can tell if Richmond is playing a week out Val just by you (laughs) netball and soccer on the Saturdays and it was the Days that there was like sports day, I think it was called, yep. hosted by Bruce McAvaney. Yep. And so it would have all the, you know, hosting and throwing and different things because this is pre, you know, every game being live on every channel kind mm. of thing. And they used to have a ticker down the bottom that gave you the results. Yep. So I would get home, basically, I would record Fremantle's games on VHS, which when they clashed with my own sporting events. And then I would get home, but this game would still be going, but I'd still want to watch Bruce talking about other sports. So before I turned on the TV, I would get masking tape and put it across the bottom of the television. But if you only put one layer, you could still see through. It was still translucent. So I'd put double masking tape across the ticker and then turn on the TV. And then because they would always give the, we're about to check out the scores, look away now. When it was free, I was like, la, 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 la. And then I would start watching it. So I was... I was pretty dedicated to not yeah. finding things out, but this was once again pre-social media because I am very old. <laughs> I think we need Joel every week life hacks with Nerily Meadows because that is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> that, was, that was super tactical. That was that is one <laughs> of the smartest <laughs> things I've ever heard in my life. And Nerily, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you, chatting to you about your podcast and um, hearing everything that you've um, you've done throughout your career. It's been an amazing one so far, and we can't wait to see uh, what, how it unfolds. And, look, the IPL's coming up. We'll be watching that and tuning in. And, yeah, when you're back in Australia, we'll be tuning into whatever you're doing there. So thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for all the kind words as well, boys. It's been fun.
Nerily Meadows there joining us on Breakpoint Podcast. What an absolute superstar she is. And you can tune into Ordinarily Speaking uh, via your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Google, uh, Apple Podcasts. It is on wherever you look. Um, it's an amazing, amazing show. And you can follow it on Instagram, ordinar- Ordinarily underscore speaking and at Nerily underscore Meadows on Twitter as well. If you want to catch up with all the things that she's doing over in India for the Indian Premier League, which we will be tuning into and uh, Joel, it is, well, without further ado, da-dum, 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 <laughs> Benoit of the week. And after your nomination last week for your just sheer mispronunciation of the um, of the uh, ATB chairman, what did you call him? Gwen Doozy. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you know the, the soccer player, Matteo Gwen Doozy? No. Nah. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely no idea. <laughs> Absolutely no idea who he is. It shows my uh, the the novice that I am in in terms of watching soccer, and yeah, absolutely no clue. But look, I'm going to take the reins this week, and what I think it, I I just I just saw a nomination uh, that could definitely get this in Subway New Zealand have released a coriander cookie. What I, the hell? I couldn't think of anything worse. And Subway cookies are delicious, but a coriander cookie is absolutely effing disgusting. And yeah, I would not, I wouldn't be touching it with a ten foot pole. So I'm going to, uh, I'll, I'll throw the um, the actual nomination over to you again, and just to give you a little bit of redemption <laughs> for last week. So um, go go for yeah, your life, right. Joel, and dazzle me. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was going to say this is a groundbreaking Benoit because it's uh, it's the first time. Uh, that we're giving it to an actual inanimate object. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so Benoit of the Week this week goes to the Ever Given, which of course was the ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal in uh, in Egypt. Uh, and it's just recently been refloated, but uh, it's just, yeah, quite uh, an incredible story. So the ship, big old ship it is, somehow got stuck in that canal and supposedly... About 420 vessels, nice, uh, got stuck in the in the queue waiting to get through this canal, which is kind of hard to believe. And uh, as an extension to that, they reckon about 15 million US dollars lost per day. So that is just an insane number. And it's fair to say that you would hate to be the captain of that particular boat. Imagine you are the captain. You got to go into the board meeting, going with all these documents. Uh, and how do you how do you possibly explain yourself? You can't. Just go full Homer Simpson. It's my first day. You'd hope it was. You would, gen- <laughs> but then in Taiwan, a truck with the same branding ended up sideways on a freeway and blocking the entire freeway while the canal while the canal was oh. blocked. So not a good day for them. And oh, jeez. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you what, Mel. I'll, I'll tell you what. For, yeah. for for anyone that that listens to this in Melbourne, you'll 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 understand this. I jeez. I really hope for the life of me that the Ever Given doesn't grow wheels and try to navigate the Montague Street Bridge. Then we're in serious trouble. <laughs> oh my god, I really hope not because that is. Oh. Who designed that bridge? I, I, uh, someone that's not very good at their job. Clearly. No, obviously, obviously not. But yeah, it's um, it's very interesting. But uh, look, another question before we do go because this has got nothing to do with tennis, but. How does one get a ship stuck in a canal? Good question. How does Good one question. manage to do that? 
Surely yeah. you know where the depths are. Surely you're a talented enough sea captain to be able to do it. <laughs> like, it can't be that hard. Surely. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they were listening to like Beyonce or something, and you know, just went to the left, to the left, too hard or something. I'm, I can't, I can't really explain it. I'm just kind of spitballing here. God, that's enough from you. That is absolutely enough from you, Joel. Um, but yeah, it has been an absolutely fantastic show. Big thank you to Nerily Meadows again for joining us, and a big thank you to you, Joel, for a chin. It's just gotten dark here in Melbourne, and I can't see you anymore via Zoom. I can only yeah. see a little silhouette with your shiny. He's <laughs> just zoomed right into the camera. And imagine that waking up in the morning and having that looking at you. That'd be um, that'd be enough to wake you up. Um, but Joel, thank. <laughs> <laughs> Shut your fuck up, Joel. Let's go. <laughs> oh my god, we're getting way too much out of these Russians at the moment this year. Joel Ritchie, thank you very much for joining me on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. Oh, no worries, mate. See you next week. Oh, see you then. And yeah, bring your A form because today we've uh, we've both not been on it. We've been uh, the low blows have been there and the low hanging fruit's been there, and we've both taken the opportunity. But Joel Fritchie <laughs> there joining me. And remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Instagram Breakpoint Podcast, Facebook the exact same as Insta, and you can subscribe as well on Wushka, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify as well, wherever you get your show. We are there. Um, it's been Val Febo and Joel Ferrucci talking all things tennis and a little bit of Russian uh, Russian slang as well. Have a good week.